What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. One of the busiest men in NBA media over the Athletic NBA, Yovan Bua. Yovan, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, man. I'm, I'm well rested. I'm, I'm load managed, and uh, I'm ready for tonight's game. So, are you tired of talking about load management yet? Because um, it it's not going away. And then the Derrick Rose stuff today, I don't know if you saw, he was just like, yeah, I might be, I'm, I'm probably a Chicago Bull if load management is a thing when I'm playing at an MVP level. It's it's never going to go away. It's not. And it, it had been, you know, every radio or podcast hit I've done has revolved around load management. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm on the load management beat, not the Clippers beat, but <laughs> look like, I don't know what the, I mean, I, I, I don't know your take on it. I, I assume it's a reasonable, uh, take, <laughs> uh, so, but no, they're all pussies. That is, uh, <laughs> that is my take. So, but I'm just like, look, like <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been out there that this is like a degenerate, like people will just forget, like ESPN reported, uh, Ramona Shelburne and, and Michael Wright had that story a couple of years ago from when he was leaving San Antonio where they called it a degenerative issue. It clearly was an issue last year in Toronto where he had to rest those 22 games and was hobbling in the Eastern Conference finals and finals. Uh, he barely played basketball this summer, uh, you know, in hopes of, of healing and, and resting his knee. And while he kind of hedged it a couple times before the season started, he didn't flat out say load management wasn't going to be a thing. He just said it wasn't going to be as often as last season. So everyone, for whatever reason, took it as like, you know, he's not load managing and he's going to play the whole season. And then the first couple of load management games, everyone overreacts, everyone freaks out. Uh, and now he's, he's missed the last three games. He's supposed to play tonight as uh, a Vita Zubats kind of spilled the beans at shoot around. Uh, but then that was confirmed by uh, Oum Youngmasuk and uh, Woj from ESPN. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated, like complex issue. Uh, there's many ways you can look at it, but I think kind of to boil it down to, uh, the most like concise, uh, you know, sort of, uh, description of it. It's just like, he is not healthy. He has a knee issue. And if he puts too much stress on that, you know, they're going to run the risk of wearing him down and or potentially making the injury worse. Now, is it an injury that he can't play on? No, he's obviously already played nine games and then kind of played through it. But, you know, if, if you're the Clippers and you're, you know, concerned about losing a back-to-back in November, uh, that I think that's the wrong approach. Like, you're caring about April, May, and June. That's all that matters for this franchise. And really – what matters is like mid to late May and beyond because this franchise has never made a conference final. So if they lose in the first or second round, the season was basically pointless. Like it, it doesn't matter. So the, the Clippers are viewing it from that perspective of 
we want to make the conference finals. We want to make the finals. We want to win a championship. And the only way to do that is going to be Kawhi Leonard being healthy. And if Kawhi, you know, so if that means missing 12, 15, 20 games, so be it. If that means we're the five seed instead of the one or two seed, so be it. Like that's the way we have to approach this. So I, I think everyone overreacting to it either just doesn't get it or doesn't like Kawhi or the Clippers. And, and that's fine if that's your, your kind of uh, viewpoint. But uh, I think if you actually understand what's going on and you still disagree with it, uh, then I, I, I can't really you know talk to you about it. How proactive do you think Silver and other NBA front office people are in just kind of like when they're making the schedule and everything else, just like looking at things and like, I, I think it, that's just got to be, a, if you're not going to shorten the season, you've got to be just in constant communication with teams around the league, especially the teams that have the superstars, because it's not like every team has a superstar that is going to need load management on national television. It's only a handful of people. The Clippers are one of them. You knew this with Kawhi. You knew how the Raptors handled things. And guess what? It ended up with a title. So like what the Raptors did was the right thing. And the Clippers are following that model, um, which should prove to be the right thing. Um, I don't understand why these are surprises and why the, like, well, don't I, you think that these, is there some, is there a disconnect there? Are they just not planning the right way or what's going on on that front? Yeah. And, and that, that's the thing where I think it, it kind of got awkward between the Clippers and the league, because if you're the Clippers, you look at it and you're like, you know, this is now four consecutive weeks. They have had the ESPN Wednesday game. And in three of those four weeks, it was back to back. And it's like, yeah. you, you should not have... What did you think would happen? Like, you, yeah, you, like knowing Kawhi Leonard, knowing his history, he has not played a back-to-back. Uh, you know, I wrote this in, you know, well, I've written like four load management pieces, but like in one of them, I wrote like, he has not played in a back-to-back since April of 2017. You know, that, then that was, um, you, you know, that, that was his last like fully healthy season. Then you had the 17-18 season where he only played nine games, didn't play any back-to-backs. And you had 18-19 with Toronto, didn't play any back-to-backs. And then this season, he's yet to play a back-to-back and probably won't. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be, you know, maybe, like, uh, that's probably later in the season. Like, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he plays more than, like, a couple back-to-backs total. So, if you're in the league, I don't know how you can schedule, you know, like, there should never be back-to-backs on national TV. Like, if, if you're playing Wednesday, yes. you should have Thursday off. If you're playing Thursday, you should have Wednesday and Friday off. Like, and the league has, has, has consciously tried to do that in the past where they've, you know, that, that was an issue last season at, with, with Kawhi and with other guys where, you know, it would, it would be a national back-to-back and you're putting the team in a tough position because now they feel this pressure of he has to play this game versus the other game because it, it means more. So the first two games, the Clippers rested him in the, in the national back-to-back against Utah and um, against Milwaukee and the league obviously got upset. ESPN got upset. Uh, so then the Clippers played him in the Houston, uh, you know, portion of the back-to-back last week, and then he got a left knee contusion and, and has missed the last three games. So it's like, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think one clear solution is if you are going to put a team on a, you know, a team is going to be on national TV, they should not have a game the day before or the day after because that. I just think it's unfair to the team. It's unfair to the players. I'm like, you really are putting them in this predicament where they have to pick between pissing off the league or doing what's right for them. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to the player, like Kawhi Leonard, for whatever reason, uh, like the Utah game, for example, 
it was a game in Utah and then a home, you know, a home back to back against San Antonio. So for him, it's like, why travel to Utah, put that extra stress on your body uh, of flying, even if it is private, even if it is a quicker flight, like why go to Utah and put that stress and then come back to LA versus just staying in LA, skipping the Utah game and then playing Thursday. Like that's where the league, I think needs to do a better job of really thinking this out. And especially with now that they know the Kawhi situation, like, Moving forward next season, the season after, like you really got to be cautious of how you schedule the Clippers and Kawhi. Yeah. Um, it's just been several years now. I, I wonder at what point do they finally figure this out? I just, I don't, like, this is your job. You have to figure this out. This, I, I think ultimately it falls in the league and TV executives. It doesn't fall on the teams because the teams are doing what's best for their teams to win a title. I, I think ultimately we can all agree on that right like it's not the team's prerogative yeah and and i I mean i think the one thing that the the league and the teams can probably do better is you might have to change the injury report where you know you need to if someone's going to miss a game barring you know an injury at shoot around or, or something within you know a certain time window before the game you know, like 24 hours in advance, the active list in, in the get to lock. And it's like, again, barring an injury within the next 24 hours, this guy's playing um, like or not playing. And, and I think that level of transparency would, would be beneficial to fans. Because, look, if, if you're, yeah. you know, if you're a fan uh, that's, that's buying, you're spending 200 plus dollars on tickets or 100 plus, you know, however much you're spending on tickets and you're taking your kid, you're taking a client, you're taking whatever, like you're, you don't care. I mean, if you're logical, maybe you care and you're like, all right, well, if Kawhi's healthy in, in April and May, like it's worth it. But if you're spending that money, you want to see Kawhi Leonard. And, and especially if you're on the road and it's the one time Kawhi Leonard comes to Atlanta, the one time he comes to Charlotte, the one time he comes to New York, like you want to see Kawhi Leonard. So you should know that I think at least 24 hours in advance and potentially even have uh, the ability to resell your, your tickets to the team if, if that's where you bought it from. Um, so I think they could do a better job with that, of, of having transparency. Now, it's a competitive advantage thing where, you know, that's why I think the Clippers have been so secretive with Kawhi's status is they don't want their opponent to know if he's playing or not. You know, it makes it harder for them to game plan. Like, I get that. But for the fans' sake, who at the end of the day, like, the fans make the NBA go round, right? Like, you know, the, their money, their interest, like, you know, their attention and, and social media activity and all that stuff. Like that's what makes the league, uh, you know, viable financially. Like if you got to keep those people happy. So, you know, it doesn't mean Kawhi is going to play all 82 games, but if he's going to play 60 of them, you better know the other 20 to 22 games he's missing, you know, earlier than a few hours before game time. So I think the league also needs to look at that where they, they make some type of change to that because this like, you know, Doc saying whether he's playing or not an hour and a half before the game, I think is not fair to fans. What have you gathered from Clipper fans? How have they um, taken to Kawhi missing big games and what's going to be probably on the horizon with Paul George? Uh, what has been the response um, from Clipper fans that you've interacted with or what you've seen? on this stuff it's divisive it's a very polarizing topic i mean i think more fans are taking the logical approach because i think if you're if you're a fan 
you have to try to find like the optimistic, you know, view of it. Um, so there are definitely are some fans who are like, Hey, Kawhi, like miss a month. If you have to like, you know, just do, do what's best for you. Or, you know, I know it sucks right now, but hopefully this pays off in the long run. Uh, but there are definitely fans who, uh, have, have reached out to me on Twitter, reply to my tweets about whether Kawhi's playing or not. And are just like, you know, screw this, or, you know, I'm disappointed or, you know, he's soft, he's this, he's that. And, um, you know, the Laker fans eat it up like catnip. Obviously they, they love trolling and, and yeah. you know, uh, and until LeBron rests his first game, whatever that is. And then we'll see if they, can... or until he like misses like, a month, he just <laughs> yeah. takes January off. We're like, they like, that's still he goes on a two like, weeks the, Laker fans need to be careful. Do you need to count your blessings with AD and LeBron and the rest of that cast? Like Laker fans laughing at other teams. Injury caution is, um, seems like a bad, a bad idea. Yeah. And then like, we could take this obviously into like a, a bigger discussion of like, are there too many games, you know, or what, yes. you know, kind of uh, how do we fix the schedule? Do we add a month to the season and, and eliminate back to backs? And then, you know, maybe that eases the workload or, you know, do we shave off five games, 10 games, 20 games? Like, I, I don't know, you know what the, the solution is, but this is clearly an issue. It, it's hitting its boiling point. Uh, you know, TV ratings are down. And I do think right now there's kind of this sentiment that's growing among NBA Twitter, among fans, uh, even kind of just across the league of like the regular season is losing its, its value, its importance. And it really yeah. is now geared towards, uh, you know, let's get to the playoffs healthy. Let's get to the playoffs rested. And, and then let's see how good we are. Like then we'll play our, our players more, our, our lineups more. And I just think, you know, it, it's going to be a weird situation where uh, it would not surprise me if the Clippers are the four seed, the five seed, the six seed heading into the playoffs. And yet they're still somehow favored because they have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and probably the deepest 10 or 11 man rotation in the league. And, and that's just going to be kind of a weird thing that I can't remember another team that, you know, out, barring like a major injury, um, you know, is really just kind of rested their guys this much throughout the season. Because, uh, look, you know, Pat Beverly just rested the last couple games. Uh, Lou Williams is going to rest at times. Like, I, I think Paul George will eventually rest at times. So, like, this really is team load management. They're going to have multiple guys resting games. Not as much as Kawhi. He's going to be on a different level. But uh, I, I think the league has to, you know, also figure out some type of way to – incentivize teams to try harder in the regular season, you know, whether it's, you know, changing the, the, the playoff format or whatever, like something has to, to change because I think this issue is only going to get worse as it, you know, you got, you got John Morant resting games and, and, you know, like it, this is only going to get worse. You know, teams are only going to load manage more. It's only going to become more of a competitive advantage. So I, I think, you know, the league has to do something, um, on top of the other things I just said they have to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you talked to Balmer or Frank about any of this? Um, yeah, I've had conversations with people. Uh, I don't feel comfortable going into detail with, with who, but I, I think yeah. the Clippers, I, I like they, they get it, right? Like they, they get the, yeah. the fan discontent. And well, the reason I ask is it because I think all players are unanimous in this front, especially today's players, that this is good for them and they want to preserve their bodies long term. Like, I think all the players are air on the side of what Kawhi is doing and everything else. 
I, I just wonder if there's a disconnect at all with the ownership groups across the league and the front offices. I, I would say front offices, probably not, but ownership groups I'm always curious about. I, I think there is because you, you've seen some of the comments, you know, Mark Cuban, David Fisdale, um, in it, even some of the players, right? Like uh, James Harden kind of spoke out against it. Uh, LeBron has kind of danced around it, even though he's load managed um, yeah, himself. Yeah, he dance around that more. So, uh, I mean, I, I like I think I think the the delineation again is that this isn't as if like people are acting as if like Kawhi Leonard is like ninety five percent or like you know ninety percent or whatever percent you want to put in the nineties, and like he's just trying to not make it worse and, and just being like preventative, and I think there's a preventative element to it, but. To me, it's actually more reactive where I think he's closer to like 75, 80%. And they're trying to not let that get worse and, and almost reacting to an injury that he already has and, and then trying to prevent it from getting like, I mean, it's semantics. It's, it's a little bit of like delicacy with the language with it. But I, I just think that people, people are acting like Kawhi Leonard's 100% and, and can play and just, just choosing not to. Like, that's not the case. The guy is injured. The right. guy limps. If you watch him play, you know, I've, I've watched every second he's played this season. He's looked actually progressively worse throughout the season. His, his shooting numbers have gotten worse. His, his scoring totals have fluctuated. His, his passing has gotten worse. Like he's actually like physically looked worse. And I think it's good. He rested the last three games because he looked terrible at the end of that Houston game. So I, I think anyone who like doesn't acknowledge that he's injured uh, just is being ignorant. And then, you know, just choosing not to uh, kind of, uh, you know, acknowledge that fact because he does not look 100 percent, not close to 100 percent. And what I think that really speaks to his, his uh, you know, uh, amazing ability. He, I mean, to me, you know, he's in that conversation for best player in the league because dude's putting, still putting up like 28, 8 and, and like 5 on like one leg still. You know, it's, it's just crazy how good he still is. Um, you know, despite being so limited physically. So away from all the load management, we just went into almost 20 minutes of that. That's enough. No more. I'm not <laughs> going to put you through the ringer um, anymore on that front. Yovan. But um, in terms of just on court um, analysis, what if, um, cause the, the Clippers right now, and you, you spoke to this a little bit and that they're probably going to be around the four five, six spot. Um, come playoff time just because of how much they're going to rest certain guys and um, just not having Paul George for the start of the season, all that kind of stuff. But um, the Lakers, obviously, running through the West, the only last two games, great defense, number one defensive efficiency in the NBA right now. Um, what have you seen that might make you a little uneasy um, thinking about, like, oh, if we get a Western Conference uh, semifinal matchup between the the Clippers and Lakers, with the Lakers having home court advantage. Like, what what have you seen? Because I, I just don't think a lot out of that opening night game at all. Um, at this point in the season, like, what have you seen from the Clippers that make you kind of optimistic in how they'll match up with the Lakers if that comes to be in the second round versus um the Lakers and what you've seen there and like whether or not they're uh, better positioned to match up with this Clippers team than we thought. Yeah. So. I think that uh, just to be clear with with where I think Clippers will be, like, I I think I, I went back and forth with the two or three seed heading into the season. I still think that's possible. Uh, Like, because looking at, especially the numbers when Kawhi has played, like 
you know, they're, they're seven and two when he's played. Uh, I think they're almost like, you know, plus 20 net rating with him on the court. Like he, he's been ridiculous. So like if, if they can somehow get him healthier and then playing a little bit more, or at least playing like, you know, 60 plus games, I do think they're prop. They probably fall to like the four seed on the low end and, and maybe the two seed on the high end. I, I don't see them being a one seed, but uh, to, uh, to the Lakers Clippers dynamic, uh, I think that, you know, and I wrote about this off opening night and, and I agree that you can't really take much from it because the Lakers have just played much better. And, and that was, you know, the first uh, game of the season. And like, you don't want to overreact, but at the same time, the Clippers were without Paul George and yes, the Lakers were without Kyle Kuzma, but like, you know, I, I think Paul George not being there takes a lot more away from the Clippers than Kyle Kuzma not being there for the Lakers. And I think the fact that, wow, shots fired. Uh, <laughs> I think like what what stuck what stood out to me, which made me even more optimistic for the Clippers side of things than um, I was heading into. Because I still think like I, I contend to me, the two LA teams are clearly, in my opinion, the the two best teams in the West. I think there is a like tiering, you know, difference. Like I, I would put those two in tier one, and then I'd put the tier two as, as Houston, Denver, and Utah. Uh, and then tier three, I, I don't even know, but you know, I think there is a, you know, there's a difference in my opinion between the two LA teams and the, the next three in the West. So I do think the Clippers and Lakers are probably going to have to go through each other at some point in the playoffs, whether that's semifinals or conference finals. And for me, uh, what I took away from opening night, uh, was that I think the Lakers do not have a great option against Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi basically did whatever he wanted. Uh, whether it was LeBron, whether it was Danny Green, whether it was KCP, whether it was Avery Bradley, like none of those guys are great matchups against Kawhi. And that's before we even factor in Paul George. Uh, so that gave me some more optimism on the Clippers side. And the second thing was that the Clippers actually defended Anthony Davis fairly well. Uh, you know, he, he did, I think he finished with 25, but he didn't score in the fourth. And I think he only had like, uh, I want to say he had like, you know, 16, 17 of that 25 in the first half. And then they, they held him like eight points in the third and then zero in the fourth. So like throughout the game, the Clippers defense progressively got better on Anthony Davis. Uh, and, and what they almost did was they, they almost um, kind of goaded him into one-on-one matchups. I think he had 17 post-ups uh, that game, which was his, his I think his career high and, and uh, the, the most post-ups a player had ran in like two or three years and that was because they put Patrick Patterson on him, you know, single covered a lot of the time, or they'd put Jermichael Green or Montrose Harrell, like uh, a few guys defended him. Uh, but the, the Clippers were really kind of strategic with when they sent double teams, you know, loading up the backside. And they're like, all right, if Anthony Davis wants to take, you know, a contested, you know, eight footer, we'll live with that. Uh, but if, you know, if he's going to attack the rim, then we're going to rotate over, try to double send the guy and then make someone else beat us. And that strategy was actually pretty effective and the Clippers rotated pretty well. And again, that's without Paul George, who just finished third in defensive player of the year voting last season. So I think I, I walked away from that matchup more optimistic for the Clippers side of things. Now that being said, the Lakers defense has been amazing to start the season. Uh, they have so much size, so much length. Um, and, and they're just big and, and, you know, tough. And I, I think that you saw it actually, you know, the, the Lakers got off to like that 13 to two start against the Clippers on opening night. And that was kind of like, 
the the doomsday scenario for the Clippers where you just see JaVale McGee is getting deflections and blocking shots. Anthony Davis is everywhere. Like LeBron is engaged. Like when you get that version of the Lakers, that's a really scary team. That might be the best team in the league when they're locked in defensively. So I think if you're the Clippers, like that has to give you some pause that the, the Lakers have been able to be that good for this long. It looks like they're going to end up being at least the top five or six defense. Uh, so I think defensively, the, the Lakers do have a lot to throw at the Clippers uh, in terms of their ability to protect the glass, protect the rim and all that stuff. But I still don't love from the Lakers end, uh, you know, Danny Green, KCP and LeBron against PG and Kawhi. Like, I, I just think we saw Kawhi torch, uh, Giannis and Jimmy Butler and Clay and, and you know uh, Andre Iguodala and like he went through the gauntlet last postseason and and lit up some of the best defenders in the league. The Lakers don't have that. You know Danny Green I, I think is a really good defender, but he doesn't have the size for Kawhi or PG. Uh, you know same thing with KCP and Avery Bradley. LeBron has, has regressed defensively the last couple of years. And even when he's engaged, you know, he can be a, a plus defender, but I, I just don't see him stopping those two. So to me, like, you know, just as many questions as there are about the Clippers defending AD, I think the Lakers should have against defending Kawhi and PG. Cause I just, I personally don't love the matchup from the Lakers side. So, you know, maybe I'm biased, maybe, maybe I'm, you know, underrating Danny green or Avery Bradley or whatever, but uh, I, I just think the, the, the Clippers, you know, perimeter guys are going to give the Lakers some problems and, you know, maybe inside it's a wash and, or, or the Lakers win that battle. But um, I think if you're looking at the perimeter side of things, I think it's heavily in the Clippers favor. Do you think the Clippers are at all concerned about uh, a four seed and what that does to their title chances? Do they want to avoid the Lakers in round two? Do they think about seeding at all right now? Or are they just still just day by day? It, it is, it, it, they do care. Uh, like they, they, they don't not care. Um, you know, and that, that's something I've had that conversation with a few people there where it, it, again, it, it's this kind of delicate balance of like, you need to preserve Kawhi, but you don't want to be the eight seed, you know, and then had yeah. to play the Lakers or whoever the Rockets or whatever in round one, like, you know, if they end up being that four or five seed, they're probably going to have to play all four series on, you know, or the, I guess if they're the four seed, obviously they'll have home court round one, but like they could potentially play three or four series on the road if they're not careful. And, you know, the, the historical precedent of that is, is very limited. I, you know, I think uh, that Rockets team, one of the two Rockets teams was a six seed. And outside of that, like, you know, m- most champions are top three seeds for a reason. So for the, the Clippers, you know, for as good as they are, I, you know, I think one healthy, they will be the best team. I think they should be the favorites. But, you know, I don't think they're a Warriors-level favorite where you just automatically pick them to win every series, especially if they're starting on the road. So, you know, I do think if, if they are the four or five seed, like, let's say the five seed, you know, they don't have home court in round one, they don't have home court in round two. Now you're going to round three against the, the Lakers without home court. I, I might have to pick the Lakers in that series just because that's so tough. I think to win three series on the road like that. So it is a, it is a concern for them. It is a consideration, but again, at the end of the day, if you're the one seed, but Kawhi's 60%, it doesn't really matter. You're probably going to lose in round two or three. So I think they're almost looking at it like, you know, what, however healthy we can keep Kawhi, like, we'll take our chances in a series, even if it's on the road, but if he's not healthy or he's less healthy than he could be, uh, we're probably going to lose anyway. So 
it's it's you know there, there's no easy answer here but i think they're they're trying to be as, as you know deliberate with their approach as they, as they can be yeah i i'm still not hedging on my clippers um if they're fully healthy and if Kawhi is what he was last year in the playoffs like they're just especially with paul george in the mix they're they're not gonna lose a seven game series and i also just want to say can we can we just see if ad and lebron make it to march how they look in April? Can we see like what the defensive toll this is taking in the offensive workload that they're having to do? Because you know, I I just AD's never played a full season. LeBron played fifty five games last year. He's closing in on year twenty. Like I just I want to see it. I think they're great together. The pick and roll works as well as we all thought it would. I just I have my doubts. Like the Rockets winning eight straight and what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's really cool. What James Harden's doing is insane. Zero chance, I think, that they're making out of uh, the West with their depth issues and what they're doing right now. Like, zero chance. Like, I'm just not at all in. I I don't know. I, I'm still hedging on uh, Clippers Island. I, I will not sell my real estate. I'm not, I'm not at all concerned. But if they're getting, like, a sixth seed in the West, maybe I'm a little concerned. But if they're at the four, three spot, something like that, um, I'm not the least bit concerned with the Clippers. Yeah, um, I, I think... Like and, and I, I think what this is actually going to provide them, which is you know what what I've uh, been focusing kind of more on lately, is like kind of similar to those San Antonio teams, which again, like San Antonio started load managing you know five six years ago or maybe even before that, and it just wasn't really a a big issue outside of that one Miami game, which it was more because it was a finals rematch with Miami than because it was San Antonio. Like if they're playing. Uh, like Milwaukee that game, I don't think anyone would have really cared. It was that San Antonio Miami, you know, finals rematch, LeBron Wade Bosch and San Antonio didn't bring its guys to Miami. And, but you saw they almost won that game. And I think what San Antonio has done throughout the years really well, what that Raptors team did well last season was the mixing and matching of the lineups and, and the rotations and just so much kind of fluctuation while in the short term it could result in losses and, and the team kind of struggling at times. And I think you've seen that with the Clippers where they've already dropped a couple games they should have won. Uh, there has been some, you know, kind of chemistry issues where guys just haven't played together in practice and, and haven't gotten much reps together. Then they're being thrown together in, in these lineups, like weird, funky lineups and games. And they're, they're kind of figuring it out on the fly. But I, I think, so in the short term, that might cost your record. That might cost some of your lineup data or your statistics or whatever. You know, longer term, I think it's going to prove beneficial. You know, like the Spurs, like the Raptors, where come playoff time, you now have all the you know these you know certain guys have played together that maybe wouldn't have played together if everyone was healthy, and and certain guys have been in different lineups and rotations where now if Kawhi or PG you know gets in foul trouble or is having an off night or, you know, maybe gets injured, you know, minor injury for a game or two in the playoffs. Like a guy like Mo Harkless, you know, could step up and you know, he's already been a starter in, in Portland before and, and played in big games, but he's now played at the three and the four and he, he's played in, in different lineup configurations. And like he has that experience and, or Jermichael Green or, you know, Lou and Trez have, have now started a few games together and, and they can potentially start um, uh, certain matchups in, in the playoffs or whatever. So, I think, you know, longer term, the benefit to some of this stuff is you're going to have guys who wouldn't necessarily play together, have that experience, have those reps. And 
I think it makes you more dangerous. I think it makes you more versatile. And that's really what you saw with San Antonio, where they could plug and play so many different guys like Doc, uh, not, not Doc, but uh, Pop could change his lineups in a playoff series. And those guys, you know, not miss a beat and, and just look like they've been playing together forever. So that to me is, is potentially one of the benefits of this situation is that the Clippers will get different guys, different reps together and make themselves even more dangerous. How do you think it ends for Melo in Portland? Oh boy. Um, I thought, I didn't think he looked good, uh, to be honest. Like no. I, you know, uh, what 10 points four fourteen shooting minus 20 plus minus. Like minus 20 yeah um <laughs> yeah more more fouls and rebounds more field goal attempts than points and and you know i think zero assists and five turnovers like the guy looked basically as, as he basically was exactly what all of his detractors have been saying which was he's an inefficient scorer who sure he got you 10 points but it took 14 shots to get you that and he doesn't provide anything else did not help on the glass, did not help with ball movement or, you know, shot creation for other, you know, his teammates. And then defensively was the liability with like, he got one block to start the game and then, you know, finished with five fouls and was a mess defensively. So I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm not a mellow guy. So, you know, got to take what I say with, with that kind of perspective. But I, I just think like Portland, what Portland needs is, they need Mo Harkless and Alfred Aminu, and then for those two guys' limitations offensively, they were huge for them defensively and on the glass. You know, underrated wing defenders and rebounders, and they just replaced those guys with Kent Bazemore, Rodney Hood, you know, Nod Little, and now Mello. And that just isn't going to get it done defensively, and it's not going to get it done on the glass. And I think, well, you know, Portland's issues are not Mello's strengths. Like, sure the offense has struggled a little bit more than you, you would think. And, you know, mellow shooting and his ability to post up or whatever, you know, might help that. But this team is, is you know, its issue is defensively and its issue is, is you know, it's, it's size and rebounding. And I, I think mellow does not fix that. Um, and, and, you know, at his best, he's like going to be a neutral, but last night I thought he was a clear negative and, and, you know, did not look like, a rotation player or, you know, a borderline rotation player. And, and people love the scoring. People love the jumper. People love the celebrations, but um, you know, that was not to me. And look, it's his first game in a year. So maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt, but it, it, there's also some confirmation bias of this is exactly how he looked in Houston. This is exactly how he looked towards the end of the Oklahoma city run. Uh, you know, he does not look like a NBA rotation player, or at least not a starter. And you know, nothing that I saw last night, change my opinion on that whatsoever so you know we'll monitor it let's see how the next like couple weeks go but i'm not optimistic and uh, after last night i'm even less optimistic than i was yeah um he shouldn't be starting he shouldn't be getting 20 plus minutes anyway he the best case scenario was like what vince was in atlanta last year and granted that was um, fine. It wasn't like he was a net, just awesome positive, but he's someone who, um, players in that locker room all respect and look up to. There's a reason they placed his locker next to Trey young. And like Mello has that gravitas that, um, not a lot of guys have. And you would hope that that's just kind of the best case scenarios. You bring him in. He's like the ninth, 10th guy. He's someone who should only play like eight to 10 minutes a night max on a contender. Like Vince Carter is playing more because the Hawks were awful. Like 
Melo should not be playing a lot, significant double digit minutes on a good team. Like he shouldn't even be like it's it's not good. It's also not his fault that the Blazers need him to do all this. The Blazers built their roster around like Mario Hazonia and they left a lot of dudes go on the wing and they like you brought up that they need bodies there and they're in crunch they're, they're in crunch mode because everything if you look at their usage percentage you look at their minute allocation you look at their shot allocation it's all dame and cj they're having to do literally everything and not having nurkic obviously really hurts them and Whiteside has not been nearly enough of what they need on that front but um yeah i, I guess play anthony simons more who i still really like and has looked good in limited minutes he's playing like what 10 to 15 Nothing crazy, but I think he at some point needs to get more and more minutes. He's super young and still super small, but he's great. And then you're like, well, maybe he could have been like what they did with Rodney Hood last year, where Rodney Hood came in. He was just somebody that everybody had crossed off, like Utah gave up on him. It just it wasn't going to happen for Rodney Hood. And then he was a really good rotation piece for them. Uh, but the other thing is Rodney Hood significantly younger than Carmelo Anthony. Um, I don't know. I think it's it sucks. I think this probably wasn't the best fit. And I also think this was like Neil O'Shea being like, you know, let me call up Cleveland. What is it going to take to get Kevin Love right now? Oh, that's what the cost is. Okay. Let's go contact uh, CAA. What is uh, Mello's cost? Oh, basically free, non-guaranteed. All right, perfect. Let's do that. And we'll revisit the Kevin Love stuff in a couple months. Yeah. And I think that this really speaks to, um, the limitations of this roster. And I, I like, I think I personally felt, and I'm, I'm going to do myself no favors with Portland fans. <laughs> like I'm going to preface this statement with, I love Portland as a city. Uh, I, I, I like the Blazers logo and colors. So, you know, the, the, that's my like kind of olive branch to start this. But um, I think there's a clear like limitations to this roster I felt they completely got lucky last season and overachieved. Like to me, they're not like, you know, they're pumping up this Western conference finals berth. And like, you know, yes, they beat Denver and they did that without home court, but that was really Denver's first time in that situation. Uh, you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, they didn't make the playoffs. The Timberwolves did in that playing game. So like this was Denver's just youth and inexperience and Portland, you know, a, a group that for the most part had been together for the better part of, you know, four or five years, kind of just took advantage of that. And that was Dame, that was CJ, and they rose up to the moment and, and they beat Denver. But like, you know, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people around the league's opinion, Houston was you know clearly the second best team in the West, but they ended up getting on the side of the Warriors. And a lot of people felt Utah was the third best team in the West, and they ended up being on that. Uh, side of the bracket as well and got the bad matchup for them which was houston so at best i think you could paint portland as the the fourth best team but i still kind of came away from the denver series thinking denver was better so like to me i just felt like they got lucky on on the side of the bracket they they caught a team that was very young and experienced and they just kind of had this like fortunate run to the conference finals which then sort of you know colored their perception of how good they were and didn't really address the the kind of limitations of the, of the Dame CJ um, kind of pairing. And, and I, I think, you know, not to put it on those two, but you know, it is kind of more the, the rest of the roster, but I just think it's, it's hard to win in today's game with two small guards who are not plus defenders. Like there really is no other um, 
you know, kind of comparison of, of a team that's had long-term success recently like that. And, you know, people c- can point to the Warriors, but, you know, Clay is not small and Clay is a, you know, all defense caliber defender. So you can't even point to another team with like a strong backcourt kind of leading them because, you know, there, there really is no other comparison. So to me, I think it is kind of time to break up the, this, you know, kind of duo. I, I think it's been time probably for over a year, but, you know, now I think that they're at real risk of missing the playoffs. And I actually think with the way the West is shaping up, the West is probably worse than we thought it was outside of the top five. Uh, and the threshold to get into the playoffs might be a little bit lower than we thought. So maybe Portland ends up sneaking in anyway, but they're getting into a hole early. It's not looking promising. And I think if they're not careful, they are going to miss the playoffs and it might be time to revisit, you know, maybe they trade CJ to Cleveland for Kevin Love and and something else. Maybe one of the young rookie guys, um, you know, or or Garland or I doubt they trade Sexton, but like maybe they get something back enticing from Cleveland on top of Love. And, you know, maybe that's kind of the spark they need. But I just think with the way the team is structured, they're going to be like a bottom two or three seed if they make the playoffs. They're going to lose in round one. And, you know, this team, I think, has hit its ceiling. So uh, I am now officially out in Portland. Uh, I, I was leaning that way to, head to start the season, but now I'm officially out. And I, I think it is time to, to fix, you know, do something. Because if they stay with the status quo, I think they're screwed. It's interesting that you're, um, you clearly hate the city, the fans, <laughs> the team, everything. Um in Portland, which I thought was a little strong. Um, I have a, I, I just, I don't think Sean Hyken did anything to you or Ian Carmel or any of those guys, but apparently they did, did a lot wrong by you. So, um, wow. But, um, I, it's funny that you brought up Portland in this way, because like in my notes today, like I've gone back and forth on whether or not the Spurs poor start or the Blazers poor start feels more real to me where it's like we're gonna look in january and it's it's over like they are just too far back and they're not gonna be able to catch up in the west i still think portland has a much better shot of climbing out of this hole than um san antonio mainly because san antonio is pretty healthy and uh it's guys that were fine last year and they have to make up decisions that are going to be complicated with DeRozan and Aldridge and um, Lonnie Walker's stuff is not going well. Pop has been very uh, blunt and transparent about uh, how he feels about Lonnie Walker's play thus far. Uh, DeJounte Murray is not exactly what we, I think all hoped going into last year, what he is this year um, post injury, but it's probably going to take some time. Uh, Derek White is not making that leap. Uh, I, I'm really concerned about the Spurs. I'm not as concerned about the Blazers because I just, when you have a guy like Dame, who is still a top 10 player in this league, still playing at a top 10 level, if you look at just where he is in scoring and just all across the board, like he's playing like a little mini James Harden to an extent in Portland, I think CJ's fine. I just think they need to get healthy. They need Nurkic back and they need bodies in the wing. Like, I think they don't have to tear it down. I think they have to trade CJ, but I do think it's an interesting conversation to have of like, can we fix our depth by not moving CJ? I, that's, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 I don't, and this kind of goes back to, you know, some of their contracts that they sign, you know, if you like the Evan Turner deal, which uh, they flip for Baysmore, which, you know, I mean, I don't know. Is that a wash? Is that a negative? Like, I, I don't really know, but like they've, they've, 
and the the Meyer Myers Leonard deal and like they've done some kind of weird contracts that I think have, have really hampered them um, where it has hurt the depth of the roster. It has hurt, uh, you know, hurt the kind of construction of the roster. And uh, you know, I, I just, I think with where they're at, like you need, you know, if you are, if you, I think if you are going to have Dame and CJ as your two, you know, primary stars, primary scores, like, you know, you need Nurkic back, which, you know, is out of their control that he's going to come back when he comes back. Um, and, and he's become a solid defender, but then you need two really good, you know, three and four defenders, guys who can, uh, you know, make up for Damon CJ's, you know, defensive liabilities. And, and at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't think either guy like doesn't try defensively, but there are limitations. What, you know, most point guards are, are kind of neutral defenders at best anyway. And then, you know, CJ as a six foot four, you know, six, three and a half shooting guard, like is just undersized uh, in basically any matchup he has. So I think, you know, th- their bigger issue is, I don't know why they kind of swapped out Harkless and Aminu for Hood and Bazemore uh, and, and kind of went with, just went this direction with the roster. Like it, it just, you know, I, I know Zach Collins was supposed to start at the four and he was going to help with some of that, but. I view him as more of a five than a four. And they kind of just had this weird thing where they have three centers, you know, once Nurkic and Collins are back, it's going to be like, who the hell is playing at the five? And then you, you just have a, a dearth of threes and fours and not really guy like even Bazemore is, you know, six, five, six, six. He's, he's a little bit of a smaller wing. Uh, he's got some length, but you know, at, at, at best, he's a three. He's not a four. Uh, Rodney hood is also more of a three. Uh, but even Utah used them as like a two. And I'm just like, you, you just don't even really have a four on this roster. And that's where Melo comes in. But, you know, it's like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, all right, you're playing the Clippers, right? With with this iteration of, of the Blazers. So you got Whiteside, who, you know, Whiteside, Zubats, whatever. But so you're telling me Melo, Kent Bazemore, or CJ McCollum is going to check PG and Kawhi. Like that to me is is frightening if I'm a Blazers fan. Like, you have no prayer of stopping those guys. So I just, I think defensively the construction of this roster is really poor and they're not hiding Dame and CJ's weaknesses. Uh, they're really only accentuating them. And that to me is, is you know, just, I, I put that on management. I put that on ownership, like whoever the you know principal decision makers are, I think they've done a poor job with that this season. And it is, it is almost weird that like, you know, they are coming off the, the Western Conference Finals. You would think they'd almost just bring the band back together, even though I think that's usually the wrong kind of approach. Uh, but they didn't bring the, ba- the band back together, but they brought a worse band, you know, to, together and, and kind of almost, you know, the, some of the stuff that helped them get to the Conference Finals, they, they got rid of. So I've seen it now. Like, Mo Harkless is probably overtaxed as a starter, um, you know, or at least in the role they had him in. Uh, but you know, if, if you can limit his minutes, like he's very effective in like 20 to 22 minutes a night, like Al Camino, I think is, is kind of a similar guy. Maybe they had two big of roles in Portland, but I, I still think Portland has to kind of figure this out and look, Kevin Love isn't going to help the defense either necessarily, but at least he's a plus shooter, a plus score, you know, a plus player overall. You can't really say the same thing for Carmelo Anthony. So, um, I don't know. I think Portland's in a tough spot. I think they might have to blow this situation up and, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult because they just signed Dame to that new deal. So, I, you know, I don't know where they're going, but um, I, I'm not too optimistic on, on Portland stock right now. 
What would you do if you're San Antonio? If you're RC Buford, would you trade both Aldridge and DeRozan and really just go full young guy towards the end of the season, or would you just settle on one for at least another year? Because it's like Aldridge is going to be gone in another year or two. His contract situation, you could do a year-by-year basis type thing with him, but DeRozan's more complicated because they're having to decide whether or not to give him several more years uh, added to his contract at a very high premium. Um, what would you do if you're the Spurs? I, uh, it's, it's difficult because I think so much of it depends on pop where, you know, what's pop status, how much longer is he coaching? How does he want to go out? You know, you got to think, um, this could be his last year, right? Like, you know, he is going to coach the 2020 Olympic team. So maybe this is the last season and he goes out with the Olympic team, but you know, you got to think he's not going to coach more than say another two, three, maybe four years max. So if you're looking at it through that, like it is kind of hard to start a rebuild with pop unless he's cool with that. Uh, so you kind of get why they've done some of the things they've done of almost staying on the, the treadmill of mediocrity of being this like, you know, six to eight seed uh, all, all the time the, the past couple of years. But I personally would tear the whole thing down, uh, you know, depending on pop's perspective on it. Uh, but like, I'm just like, you're not winning a championship with the Marcus Aldridge being one of your top two guys. You're not winning a championship with DeMar DeRozan being one of your top two guys. And those are their top two guys. So I, I think like just the foundation of it is not where you want it to be. Uh, both guys are, are aging. I think both, at least LaMarcus, I think has, has looked like he's dropped off a bit this season um, DeMar a little bit, but you know, he's still kind of at a similar level to, to what he was last season. But I, I just think those two guys, like they have their limitations. You kind of know what you're getting. You, at least you could point to them being consistent. You know, they're, they're fairly consistent players. They're, they're going to give you like, you're going to get your 20 and eight, 20 and nine from Marcus every night. You're going to get your, you know, 23, four and four from DeMar. Like, you know what you're getting from them, but uh, that to me is just like there's just such a like even even more, it's almost a Portland problem, but at, at an even like worse level because you know I'd rather have Dame and CJ than Demar and, and Lamarcus, and you know there's a higher ceiling for those two than, than Spurs. So I think Demar is gone. I don't think they're going to keep him. Like I think that one is kind of trending that direction. It's just a matter of what they do with Lamarcus. Uh, but to your point with Lamarcus, it does seem like a one or two year thing or he's gone you know maybe this season but uh if i were the spurs i would tear it down uh look to get some young assets for either one of those guys if you can uh and really build around Dejounte, uh you know Derek white and some of these young guys that they've gotten and, and you know you're the spurs like you, you can find guys you can pull guys out of the g league out of europe uh, out of the second round like that's what you do but i think for, for now it is weird that they've kind of accepted this almost mediocre state where you know their their upside this season is a six seed and a first round exit. Like and their downside clearly is like, you know, the eleventh seed and, and missing the playoffs. So I don't know where they're gonna fall. I'm still trending towards them probably being like the seven or eight seed. But you know, what what, what does that mean? Like why are you doing that? So you could get smacked by the Lakers in round one? Like I, I just don't I don't get it. So if I'm them, uh, you got to start looking to the future. That's why, to me, going back to like the Kawhi trade, I never understood it from from San Antonio's perspective. Like, you know, you you took a, a huge leap down from Kawhi to Demar, and then like Jakob Pertl is, I think he's a, he's a good backup center, but 
he's a below average starting center and that, you know, getting that for Kawhi is just kind of ridiculous when you see what, you know, Anthony Davis netted or, or what Paul George netted or what Jimmy Butler netted. We're just seeing what the Pelicans have now. Like that yeah. could have been San Antonio. Yeah. And, 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 and that's like, you know, of course, different circumstances, there was a lot of concern about Kawhi's health and people thought he was coming to one of the LA teams and like, you know, he, his value is probably lower than well, not even probably like his value was lower than Anthony Davis's or, or maybe even Jimmy Butler's or, or Paul George kind of quietly hitting the market. But to get that, I think, you know, it's hard for me to believe there was not better packages out there um, than, than what the Spurs ended up getting. So, um, I, you know, I, I think that is kind of the domino that, that set them back a bit where now you've kind of been stuck with DeMar the last couple of years. And, um, you know, there's a clear limitation to him, like, right. Like he couldn't even, he couldn't lead a team in the East, uh, you know, and, and I don't see why he's going to be able to lead a team in the West. And, you know, LaMarcus is probably better than him or, or they're kind of even. So maybe LaMarcus is the go-to guy. But again, I, I just think there's a, a limitation to how good those two can be. Uh, you know, I, I like them as like, you know, second tier guys, third tier guys, but to, to kind of be your co number one options, uh, I don't think that's going to get it done. So for me, I, I would look to move at least one, if not both, and, and then kind of go from there. When do you panic about uh, Brooklyn? Uh, January. Uh, like, I, I think okay. the, east, the, the bottom of the East is so bad that, you know, you go yeah. on a five game win streak and you're like the six seed. So um, I, I wouldn't panic yet. I'm a little surprised in that, like, they were kind of my dark horse pick for the three seed where I was like, you know, maybe it was too reductive of of thinking, but I was like, I think there's a big gap between Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell, despite whatever chemistry issues you want to point to. uh, You know, I I think Kyrie Irving is a much better player than D'Angelo and that kind of upgrade with a healthy Karis LeVert, um, with, with DeAndre, you know, I guess as this, I don't know if he's an upgrade over at Davis. He's probably not, but like at least a neutral with, with Davis. Um, I, I, you know, another year in Kenny Atkins' system and, you know, kind of the, the hype and, and having that sort of confidence of like, we're going to have KD next season. Like we have Kyrie now, like we're, we're going to be a contender. Uh, I thought that kind of goodwill and energy would translate more onto the court, but it hasn't so far. And it, they have been kind of a dud. Uh, you know, they have been one of the more disappointing teams in the league. Um, if they're in the West, I'd be super good. Like I'd put them on that Portland level uh, of concern. Uh, but you know, being in the East again, you can win three or four games and change the course of your season. Like it's, it's still like that right now. So, um, uh, you know, if there's more teams running away with it in the East, uh, I would be more concerned. Now, are they going to be a home court team? Like, I think you could almost certainly rule that out. It looks like the East home court is already shaping up, but you know, am I concerned they're not going to at least be the eight seed? Like, no, I think they will be the seven or eight seed, if not the six seed. So, you know, they probably lose in round one now. That's the way it's looking. I don't know if they get to the semifinals, but um, I would not concern yet or not be concerned yet. I want to wait till like early to mid January before I start, sounding that alarm 
Yeah. Um, Karis Avert not being able to stay healthy sucks. Um, it's weird, like, looking at the DeAndre and Jarrett off on stuff and, like, what DeAndre did still, like, as he was not a good offensive player and he's still not, but, like, the defensive numbers with him on the court were still really good. And then you look at, the, like, the offensive rating with Jared Allen on the court and just, like, what that looks like. It's all very fascinating, like, how that that group works out. Spencer Dinwiddie's not shooting well, so I think he's got to get right. But I also think it's hard figuring out how to play with Kyrie and how to play with these with these guys now, um, D'Angelo Russell's a little bit different uh, than Kyrie Irving. So I I think you need a little bit more time, but like you said, the East is just very different. Like you can fall in a little bit of a hole. You can be five and nine and be very much okay. Like I think we're we're going to get there, but they need to get healthy, and I think they need um, a little more room. And also just Kevin Durant's not there. So this year is kind of a, a wash anyway. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I thought they were a team that could make the second round. Like I thought they'd be on that. Oh, I didn't think that. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. I, I was in the minority with that, but I was like, um, you know what? They're the six seed last season, seven seed last season. Um, I was like, yeah. they'll, they'll make that jump to, um, you know, four or five, you know, three to five, somewhere in there. I thought they'd be on that next tier with Boston and Toronto. You know, I, I, I still think Philly and Milwaukee are kind of their own tier. Uh, Boston's creeping into it, but I want to see this for. 40 games or you know b- before i start to kind of believe it uh but you know i, I thought they either with boston and toronto and, and they're clearly not they're, they're clearly at best you know in that third tier in the east uh you know miami's kind of taking their spot where miami i would put you know near that boston yeah. toronto tier and um yeah like i mean they're they're gonna lose in the first round it is what it is uh but you know and, but it does give me some some pause where i'm like you know yes adding kd will make them a much better team theoretically, but you do kind of have some concerns with, with some of, I think the, the fits on and kind of the roles on the roster right now where, um, you know, like the, the Jared Allen, Deandre Jordan thing is so weird to me. I would much rather play Jared Allen than Deandre. And like, they've been platooning them where, you know, one starting one night, one starting the other night, you know, one night Jared Allen starts, but he only plays 18 minutes and Deandre plays 30. And then, uh, you know, another night they're splitting in. It's just like DeAndre has really cannibalized Jared Allen's role in development, I think. And, um, you know, that's the cost of getting Kyrie and, and KD. You know, you, you got to live with that. But it is kind of unfortunate, I, I think, where, um, you know, I really like Jared Allen. I think he's an intriguing, you know, young prospect. And uh, I think he has the, the chance to be develop into a, you know, DeAndre Jordan, Tyson Chandler, Light-esque player. And, you know, that's kind of being stymied right now by DeAndre's presence. And, you know, DeAndre can still get his 18 rebounds and two or three blocks, but, you know, he's not really been a plus player for the last couple of years. So um, that to me is, is a bit unfortunate, I guess, if you're looking at the Nets kind of development long-term and you know, DeAndre signed a four-year deal. So he's going to be there uh, the next three years. It's not like he, he's going away anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, that that's going to be an ongoing thing. And I, I'm interested to see how that, kind of manifest next season where like you said there was a a limitation to how far they were going to go this year but when you have kd when you're looking at yourself like a contender uh you know those minutes at the center position are really going to matter and if uh you know a worse player like deandre jordan is playing more than he probably should be uh that could potentially you know matter come may and in june if you get that far so uh, i think that's something to to monitor for next season but in the meantime uh you know i think they're fine for now Obviously, if they get in a bigger hole, it's going to be more concerning, and there's going to be a point where they can't get out of it. But 
I, I have some faith in them. I think they'll turn it around. Uh, so I'm going to hold my net stock right now. I would love a first round Raptors net series where it's just like, we, we love the team chemistry. We love the, the fight with the Raptors post Kawhi and just see what that stat, like how that actually works in a playoff series versus just the Kyrie show for a seven game series. And just like what that actually looks like. And if Kyrie can do it by himself and get through, um, the Raptors and that kind of seven game series. That's what I would hope for just to see what that looks like. Because like, Kenny Atkinson just being like, yeah, we're not really running plays and it would just be like super isolation heavy and just Kyrie going against the world against a just perfect team chemistry type situation in Toronto. I would, I would very much be here for that. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. All right, man. Well, that's all I've got for today. Do you have anything you would like to plug at the Athletic NBA or Athletic Los Angeles before we get, but, uh, before we get out of here? Uh, well, you know, first off, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, I would highly recommend that. Uh, we have a one-week free trial option, so you can subscribe uh, for seven days. Check it out, and uh, you know, we, we've added a bunch of podcast content. Uh, we continue to add, uh, you know, prominent NBA voices like John Hollinger, Seth Partnow. Uh, you know, former front office guys. So uh, I would say check that out. Check out my podcast, Clip City, uh, on The Athletic and on Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify. And then also check out a couple of features I wrote recently, one on Landry Shamit and his backstory uh, growing up in Kansas City with a single mom and uh, some of the hardships he went through to get to the NBA. And then a story I wrote today on Noah Eagle, uh, the son of Ian Eagle, the longtime Nets broadcaster, uh, who's now the new voice of the Clippers on radio, kind of his path to uh, you know becoming a broadcaster. Uh, you know, he talks about dealing with his dad's shadow and the last name and kind of the stigma with that, and how he's felt he's kind of had to work even harder than you know everyone else just because he wants to kind of make a name for himself off his own work ethic and not off of his dad or his last name. So um, those two features I, I really enjoyed working on the past couple of weeks. Um, so I, I would recommend checking those out if you're into long form. All right, go do that. Yovan. I always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And uh, when are you going to be in Atlanta? When are, when, when do the Clippers play? Ja- Mid January, mid January. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a quick right. trip. That's what it was last time. It's a back to back. I think they go, they mm. go uh, from if I'm not mistaken. It's Dallas, Atlanta. Uh, mm. which is a weird back-to-back, but um, it's like, yeah, I think it's Dallas, Atlanta, and then we go to Miami. So I'm going to get out of three days in Miami. I'm looking forward to that trip. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll definitely be at the Clippers-Hawks game. We'll connect there or something, so we'll figure cool. it out. Um, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.